Well, I'm, I'm sure that you know by now, if you're a member of our church, that our theme for 2024 is together, and we are going to spend this entire year learning what it means to follow the Jesus way together, to learn how to better live in those deep relationships. And so all year long, we're going to explore different facets of together as we make our way through the year. So our theme for the Lenten Easter season this year is together in ascent. And as I shared with y'all on Ash Wednesday, we began that season Ash Wednesday and last Sunday was our first Sunday in the Lenten Easter season. And uh, today, our second Sunday, I shared with you that we're using the Psalms of Ascent. So Psalms 120 through 134 are known as the Psalms of Ascent. And as best we can tell, these Psalms were read or sung by Israelites as they engaged in their pilgrimages to Jerusalem for the festivals in the Holy City. And they were intended to prepare them to be in the presence of God in his holy temple. They weren't just going to Jerusalem. They were going to Jerusalem. They were going to participate in worship, and they were going to be in the presence of God in the temple. And so they felt the need to prepare themselves for that. Well, the church historically has adopted this time of year to be a season of preparation as well. And so we hope that you're already on that journey. Uh, we have prepared a devotional guide for you, our staff has, and I hope you've gotten it. It's called Together in Ascent, and uh, you'll, you can find copies of these scattered across our campus if you haven't gotten one. They're also available online. And um, you'll notice in that devotional guide, there's a focal passage for the week. We ask you to go a little bit deeper than just a daily separate Bible reading. We're asking you to take a week and contemplate and meditate and, and reflect upon the teachings of this one text. And we are referring to that as together in word. For the Easter season, you've got two texts. One is a passage from Mark, because I wanted you to be connected to the narrative of the story of Jesus. And then there's a psalm that we'll read. And then there is together indeed. And we have suggestions for you how to put this material into practice in your life. Uh, for those of you that are parents of young children or, or school-aged children, we have some material there for you to guide you in your time together with your families or teenagers. But also there are instructions for you to consider just in your own personal life. So I hope you'll take advantage of this guide we put together for you. So with that said, I want us to look at the third Psalm of Ascent today, Psalm 122. And I've entitled the message today, Peace in the Midst of... And I'll let you fill in the blank. <clears throat> Whatever it is that you happen to be facing, finding peace in the midst of it. This is referred to by scholars as one of the Psalms of Zion because it has such a mention of Jerusalem, which is affiliated with Zion. And it's one of the Psalms of David in this collection of Psalms. So look with me at Psalm 122, where the scripture says, I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing in your gates, Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built like a city that is closely compacted together. That is where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord according to the statute given to Israel. There stand the thrones for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the shalom is the Hebrew word. Pray for the shalom, the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. 
May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. For the sake of my family and friends, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your prosperity. So as I said last week, if you just imagine, you're on your way to Jerusalem. You're going to worship with God's people, typically traveling in groups, caravans, families, and you're preparing yourself for worship. We come to this text, and you are finding yourself in Jerusalem. So this is a celebratory psalm. So let's just look at the psalm and imagine how it affected the people who originally were reading it and singing it. It starts with an invitation. The invitation is really simple. Let's go. That's what's said. Let's go to the house of the Lord. Let's go to Jerusalem. That's what you find in verse 1. And David said, I rejoice when I got that invitation to let's go to Jerusalem. What is Jerusalem? Well, that's where the house of the Lord is. It is the city of peace. It's, it's a glad event whenever you finally make your way into this city. If you can imagine these people who are on the journey when they finally see Jerusalem, set foot inside of Jerusalem, it was a cause for great joy and celebration. Which leads to the next part of this psalm, the destination. We made it. Look, look at verse 2. Our feet are now standing in your gates, Jerusalem. We've arrived. Uh, we're in this holy city. And the psalmist says about this city, this is a real city. It's not like a rural area where many of them lived. It's not a small village. Israel was populated with lots of small villages like Bethlehem or Nazareth. Those were smaller communities. Jerusalem, a real city, fortified city. And, and the psalmist says that. David says it's compacted. In other words, it's, 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 it's fortified and the people come and they live inside the walls of it. But even more importantly to them, Jerusalem is the central unifying place for all of Israel. It is a special place for the Jews. And it always has been once David established it as the city of David. It is the unifying place. It's a holy place. It's the theological heart of Israel. It's the home of the king. He says the thrones are here. The thrones of judgment are here. I mean, this is where the king has chosen to live. But more importantly, it's where the house of the Lord is. And so because of that, it's at the theological heart of Israel. So when you find yourself in Jerusalem on one of these pilgrimages, there was reason to celebrate. And I would just pause and say this to y'all, um, as most of you in this room are Americans, not everybody is, but many of you are. I don't know what to compare this to um, for us as Americans primarily. There's, there's no city like this for Americans. Does that make sense? We don't have a, a place that we would look to and say, this is the heart the spiritual heart, if you will, of our nation. Now, we have a capital, right? I mean, we have Washington, D.C., and we see it as our political capital, but I don't think we view it as the heart of America, do we? I don't think we do. I think sometimes we wonder about it, don't we? But that's, a, that's another sermon for another day. Um, so we don't, we don't really have a place like Jerusalem, so it's hard for us to understand what it meant to them. It's, it's their... It is their economic capital, it's their political capital, but more importantly, it's their spiritual capital, it's their home, it's, it's where the house of God is. And so, when they made it there, celebrate, we made it. Then I want you to notice, beginning in verse 6, there's a supplication section in this text, and that is to pray for peace. 
Notice what the psalmist says in verse 6. Now here's David, lives in Jerusalem. The capital's in Jerusalem. He's the king who rules from Jerusalem. And so he says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Here's what's interesting about that. Jerusalem, if you look at the etymology of that word, you see that last part of the word, S-A-L-E-M. Um, Y'all remember in the Old Testament, when you encounter Melchizedek, you remember him? And he was a priest from Salem, you remember? Well, in Hebrew, uh, many Hebrew words only have three consonants. And those, many of those words are very connected to each other. And so those three consonants are pretty important consonants when you put them together. Salem or Shalom, you could say it that way. So what is the, most, most scholars believe the meaning of the name Jerusalem is the city whose foundation is peace. Now, those of you who know anything about the history of Jerusalem probably find that quite ironic because it, Jerusalem has rarely experienced peace. True? It, it has been a contested piece of real estate for centuries. And even though it has that name, the city whose foundation is peace, it has not known much peace. And here we are today in 2024, and guess what? There's war in Israel again, um, and there's a conflict in Israel. The tensions are high. We know that. The Israeli Jews live there, the Palestinians. We know about the, the uh, work of Hamas. We know what's happening in Gaza. And so the tension is high there. And what we're noticing is the unrest actually has ripple effects all across the world. What's happening in that place on our planet. In fact, our own community feels it here in Arlington. Do you know that here in our community we have a very small Jewish population? We, we don't have very many ethnic Jews who call Arlington, Texas home. We have a much larger contingent of Muslims who call Arlington home. In fact, the best we can tell, about one out of every 10 people in Arlington practices Islam. Might even be a little higher than that depending upon the statistics that you follow. So there's a pretty significant population of Muslims who live here in Arlington. We have about 1,500 Palestinians, as best we can tell, who live here in Arlington. And our Muslim brothers and sisters, as well as our Jewish brothers and sisters, they are sensing the unrest in their homeland. For many of them, it is their homeland. And so, consequently, some of them are trying to respond to it. So I just want you all to know what's actually going to happen today here in downtown Arlington, because you may know it, you may not. But some of our Muslim brothers and sisters are sponsoring an event today at the Levitt, and it starts at 1.30. And it is basically a meeting calling for a ceasefire in Gaza. And there will be people here today in the Levitt who are Palestinians who actually have family in Gaza. So the concern for many of them is, is personal and familial. And so there will be many of them here downtown today calling on a ceasefire. And what I would say to y'all is, is that Levitt hosts that. I would just remind you, first of all, I just want you to know about it. Starts at 1.30, but by the time we let out of church today, and those of you that are coming back this afternoon for an ordination council or those that are coming to the business meeting tonight, you may encounter this event. So I just want you to know about it. But what I wanted to also say to you is this is America. And in America, we believe Americans have the right 
to uh, voice their concerns, and we stand with them in that right. And we know that their concerns are heartfelt, and the war is having ravaging effects upon the lives of people. So here's what I want to do right now. I want us to pause and just pray for the peace of Jerusalem. So let's just do that, okay? So would you join me? Let's pray together. Father, we, we come before you today, and we know that uh, anytime there's conflict, war, suffering, innocent people suffering, it grieves you. It deeply concerns you as you are the God of creation and you designed this world for your glory. And I can only imagine how it must deeply affect you when you see the brokenness in our world. And so we do come before you today on behalf of the folks who live in the Middle East today in particular, where the tensions are high and we know that innocent people have already suffered. There have been acts of terrorism and we know that war is so challenging and difficult and Many times innocent people suffer because of the hands of a few. And so we just, all we know to do is pray for peace. We pray for a resolution of the conflict. We pray for leaders, Lord, to make good sound decisions. And um, because at the end of the day, uh, even though it's complex and it's controversial, human suffering is human suffering. And so from our perspective today, Lord, we ask for peace. And we pray for um, folks to be protected and, and for there to somehow be a resolution. And we realize, Lord, that it's, it's beyond many of us to try to figure it all out. But we will just trust you and ask you on behalf of those who suffer today to intervene. And we, we pray all that in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Now, I do want to say this to you today um, to make sure you understand where I come from as your pastor theologically. When the text says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, what does that mean for us today? Well, I'm unashamedly a New Covenant theologian. And so what that means is that when I read the Bible, whether I'm reading the Old Testament or the New Testament, I always put on my New Testament glasses and I read the Bible through the lens of the New Testament, the New Covenant, because I'm a New Covenant theologian. And because of that, that means I have to enter into some interpretive challenges uh, because I don't believe the Bible's a flat document. I believe in the progressive revelation of God and he's most fully revealed in Christ. And so I'm on this side of the cross. So that causes me to interpret the scripture from that perspective. I'm in the minority among American evangelical New Testament theologians and I, I know that. And what I mean by that is I do not have a territorial theology. My view of Israel today is, is uh, rooted in appreciation for the Holy Land because of the events that happened there, because of the testimony of the Scripture. And I have a great deal of appreciation for what's happened there, and I have visited there myself. Cindy and I have been. However, uh, it has the territorial theology view I do not espouse, and so it does not have any role in my eschatology. And so that is not how I view the secular state of Israel today. I view it through the lens of a new covenant perspective. So it doesn't factor into my eschatology. And so therefore, I'm not a territorial evangelical. And as I said, I realize that puts me in a little bit of a minority, particularly among American theologians, but not necessarily among world theologians. So I just want y'all to know that I'm going to talk about that just a little bit here in just a second. Okay? Are y'all still with me? <clears throat> okay. Okay. 
So here's what I'd like to do when we're thinking about this this morning. If we're, t- we're going to talk about praying for peace, wherever it is we pray for peace. What does that even mean? What does the Bible mean when it talks about peace? That's what I want us to talk about this morning for a few minutes. In the Old Testament, peace, the Hebrew word is shalom. And shalom refers to wholeness, completeness, fullness, well-being, serenity, health, joy, all of that. When when you talk about um, shalom in the scripture, you're talking about something much deeper than we typically think of when we use the word peace. It's the whole idea of just human flourishing, creation flourishing, all of God's plans at play, God's will being lived out on earth in the lives of human beings and through the accomplishment of his great plan. You know, the prophets in the Old Testament, they wrote about peace. They, they longed for peace. They, they pointed Israel to peace. Well, what, what is it that they were talking about? Well, I want, I want to read you this excerpt uh, from a book by a man named Cornelius Plantingo. And Plantinga, his book is entitled, Not the Way It's Supposed to Be. Here's what he says about what the prophets dreamed of in the Old Testament. He says, they dreamed of a new age in which human crookedness would be straightened out. Rough places made plain. The foolish would be made wise and the wise humble. They dreamed of a time when the deserts would flower. The mountains would run with wine. Weeping would cease and people could go to sleep without weapons on their laps. People would work in peace and work to fruitful effect. Lambs could lie down with lions. All nature would be fruitful, benign, and filled with wonder upon wonder. All humans would be knit together in brotherhood and sisterhood. And all nature and all humans would look to God, walk with God, lean toward God, and delight in God. Shouts of joy and recognition would well up from valleys and seas, from women in the streets, and from men on ships. The webbing together of God, humans, and all creation in justice, fulfillment, and delight is what the Hebrew prophets called shalom. That's what I think of when I think of shalom. When the Jews greet each other in Hebrew, that's their word of greeting, shalom. When they part company, that's their parting word, shalom. They're not just saying hello and goodbye. What they're doing is they're blessing. They're saying, this is what I wish for you. I wish this in your life, that you will flourish, that everything around you will flourish, that you will find your way in the will of God. And so the idea of peace is a deep and meaningful idea. And so for me and you, when we talk about praying for peace, let's pray for that. Because when we think of peace, many times what we think of is just an absence of conflict. And so let's drill a little deeper. Our well-being as Christians is connected to the presence of God in our lives, not just the absence of conflict and struggle. So when you and I are praying for peace, that may not necessarily mean the trouble goes away. Because here's the thing, y'all. In this world, you are going to have trouble. Jesus said in John 16, verse 33, In this world, you will have trouble. The old King James says tribulation. Well, guess what? It turns out Jesus is right. You'll have trouble. So let me just ask you this morning, as you're sitting here today, as you're wherever you are at home, or maybe you're in a hospital, or maybe you're on vacation, or wherever you are joining us online, or you're in this room, 
What about you? What troubles you right now? Are you, um, are you troubled by your health? Is that what's troubling you? That you're dealing with something that's debilitating? Are you troubled by the health of somebody else in your family that you're worried about? Are you, uh, are you troubled about the uncertainty right now of your future? There are things on the horizon and you're looking at them and you're wondering how in the world are we going to deal with this? Maybe it's your job. Things have changed in the economy. Maybe things have changed in your work, your office. Maybe it's uh, broken relationships. Maybe you're troubled right now because you're looking at your family and you're just wondering, how are we going to, how are we going to mend this? Maybe it's friends, brokenness in your relationship with your friends, colleagues. Um, maybe there's just inner anxiety that maybe you don't even know how to label it, but you know it's real and you just, you just sense it. Maybe, maybe this is a season of despair where you look at your life and it just feels like it's come undone. Maybe it's a season of fear for you. Maybe it's your past. You're looking behind you and you're wondering, how am I going to reconcile all of this? How, how, do I, how am I going to clean all this up and find my way past it? In other words, trouble. We all will find it. And so what does it mean to find peace? Do you know what Jesus said in that same verse? In this world, he said, you will find trouble. You just will. But then he says this, take heart, I've overcome the world. And then he says this in that same verse, he said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. There's the secret. In him, you can have peace. That's what Jesus does. He brings peace to this world. He brings peace to us. In fact, that's what the prophets wrote about. As a matter of fact, Jesus is even referred to as the prince of what? Peace. He's the prince of shalom. That's who he is. He's, he's bringing shalom on earth. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. Well, there's a lady named Ruth DeBorst. She works for World Vision. She's written an article about peace. I read through it this week. Here's what she says. Let me just paraphrase a little bit. She says, the Romans used to brag about Pax Romana. What was Pax Romana? The peace of Rome. Uh, Caesar Augustus wanted Pax Romana. As a matter of fact, toward the end of his reign, he established an altar in Rome because he said, we've defeated all our enemies. And he, he uh, built the altar of peace. And he declared Pax Romana. Well, she says, I don't know a whole lot about Pax Romana. I know how it happened. She says, what I'm more interested in is Pax Christi the peace of Christ. Well, what is that? Well, that's where we come to understand that Jesus is our peace. You see, Jesus made peace in this world. He preached peace. He encountered brokenness, injustice, oppression, disease, death, and he brought peace. He made peace for us through his death on the cross. He actually offers peace to us today through his resurrection. Because he's powerful. Jesus brings peace. May not always be the kind of peace you and I want. You know, we're, we're going to read through the Gospel of Mark this year. Ephesians and Mark are, are two books that we're going to address as the year goes on. 
I love the gospel of Mark. You know, it's quick. I mean, it's the shortest gospel. Um, the, the Greek word for immediately, Mark uses it 39 times. So he, he ain't messing around. If you, if you have a red letter edition of Mark's gospel, there ain't a whole lot of red ink. Mark is like, this happened, this happened, immediately this happened. He gets, I mean, he takes through the story. I love how he tells the stories. One of my favorite stories in the gospel of Mark is found in Mark 4, when the disciples are on the Sea of Galilee and a tempest storm blows up and they are afraid they're going to die. Do y'all remember this story, Mark 4? The wind's blowing, the waves are crashing. And these, these aren't a bunch of novices. You know, I'm not a, I'm not a, a, I'm not a ship person, okay? I'm just not. I'm not going on a cruise. Y'all go, be warm and be filled. I saw Titanic. I promise you, I ain't going, okay? I don't, I don't care to be on the water. It's just not my thing, okay? But some people, that's just their thing. Well, you know what? These are not a bunch of novices. They're talking about Peter, James, John. These are fishermen. They've grown up on this Sea of Galilee. That's what they do for a living. But that day, guess what was happening to them? They were afraid they were about to die. Y'all remember that? What was Jesus doing? Sleeping. Don't you love that? Meanwhile, Jesus is asleep. These guys go and wake Jesus up and say, "Don't, Master, don't you care? Don't you know we're about to perish? We are fearful for our lives. Remember what Jesus did? Jesus stands up in the boat and just does this. Peace. And all of a sudden, the storm just, boom, just stops. I love what Mark says. He says, and then the disciples were terrified. <laughs> I love that. Now they're more afraid of who's in the boat than what was outside the boat. And they said, what kind of man is this? Well, it's okay to be a little fearful of Jesus. Probably ought to be. You know, Jesus is God in the flesh. But here's what I've learned about Jesus. Jesus can calm any storm. But I've been following Jesus a long time. And this is what I've learned in my own life with Jesus. And I don't know how it's been with you, but this is how it's been with me. More often than not, and I don't know why, I'm not sure why, but more often than not, not all the time, but more often than not, when I find myself in a tempest with a storm, Here's what's happened to me. More often than not, Jesus has calmed the storm in me rather than the storm about me. And so the peace that I've experienced with him is not necessarily the absence of trouble. It's not the absence of conflict. That's, that's not how it's been many times with me. The peace I have found in Jesus has been peace in the midst of the trouble, in the midst of the storm. And I'm here to tell y'all, that's real peace. That, that's an incredible miracle, <laughs> that he can bring peace inside of you when everything else around you is blowing about in ways that you know you can't control. And so this morning, I want to encourage you, seek that peace. That's real shalom, in my opinion. Now, I would, I would offer you a couple other words about that, if I may. I believe our well-being as Christians is connected to our involvement in the community of God's people. You see, I'm convinced I need you if I'm going to truly experience shalom. I can't really experience it just on my own. There's something deeper in me. God has created me and designed me to live in community with his people. He's designed the church, the people of God, where his shalom can rest and can be evidenced and manifested and lived out. And we can experience it and we can share the good news about it. 
Today, the church, we're God's people. We're living the Christian life, and we're supposed to follow the Jesus way together. Jesus built the church on himself, but also he said the apostles and the prophets, and he's built a community of believers. And so I would just tell you, if you want to experience true shalom, true peace in Christ, you need to be in community with Christ's people because it's there that we discover the reality of communion of the saints where we live and do life together with one another. You heard the testimony of Ryan Hodges testifying on behalf of Ryan and Katie a while ago. And he talked about the peace that they've experienced having triplets. And this church has rallied around them. Many of you in this room have been through experiences in your life in this church where the church has rallied around you and has blessed you. That's shalom is experienced together in community. Notice what, what David says in, in verse 1. I rejoice with everybody who said to me, let's all go to the house of the Lord. He didn't say, I'm going to the house of the Lord. He said, let's all go. That's the invitation. We're all going to do this. We're going to experience this together. The peace is within us, just like this text says in verse 8. I'm praying for the peace in, within you. But the peace is to be experienced by the people of God. We need each other. And so, how did the Romans accomplish Pax Romana? Well, by snuffing out anything they didn't like. By exertion of strength and power and force. That's not how it works in the church. Peace is accomplished in another way. It's through the presence of Christ together in community. And so here's the admonition. When I read this text, pray for the peace of Jerusalem as a new covenant theologian. What does that mean to me? We should pray for the well-being of the people of God and yearn for the plans of God to be fulfilled. That's what I believe it means. You see, peace, shalom, is present when God's plans are in force, when God's presence is real. So we should pray for the peace of Jerusalem. What I mean by that is we should pray for the peace and the flourishing and the shalom of the people of God and that through us the well-being, the shalom that we experience makes well-being for others possible. We should pray for God's plans to be in effect in our lives because that's how shalom is manifested in the world. We should pray the Lord's Prayer and we should mean it. When we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, where? In Arlington, right? In Arlington, on earth. How? Just like it is in heaven. So we're praying for shalom. We know there's shalom in heaven, right? We know that God's plan's in full effect in heaven. We know that God's presence is manifested in heaven. We know that. We want to see that in Arlington. We want to see that in our lives. So we pray for shalom. We pray for the peace of God to be with his people in our hearts, in our families, in our church, in our community, so that we can be ambassadors for shalom in our world. So let's you and I. As the people of God, be people of peace. And let's pray for shalom for God's people. And may it spread through us to those who desperately need it. May it be so. Let's pray together. Lord, we want to thank you today for the fact that peace is even available, possible. That it can be manifested in the lives of your people. And so today, I pray for that people right now within the sound of my voice that need shalom that are in a storm I pray Lord that you'll bring peace as only you can whatever that may mean according to your will and may we be ambassadors for the reality of that peace as it's manifested through us in our world today and we pray in Jesus name amen